It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question. You can email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. Jesus said, search the scriptures for they testify of me. Well, in searching the scripture, we find Jesus, but we also find answers to many of life's most probing questions. Alex McFarland here, along with Bert Harper. And Bert, you know, I've got to say, exploring the word is such a privilege. It is such a joy. And we love to hear from listeners. They, you know, many people call in, but sometimes people email. And by the way, if you ever would like to email Bert and I, and it will get to us, it's word, W-O-R-D, word at AFR.net, word at AFR.net. And how about we uh, go into the email box, and we'll go through the phone archives, and we'll go over some some recent questions. Would that be okay? That would be good. And again, some Fridays it's because of us being out or getting off early or whatever it might be. We are able to do a pre-record, but we enjoy those because uh, these are people that have taken time, just like those that take time to call on Monday through uh, through Friday that call us, but these have taken time to email us or or whatever they did to communicate with us. And usually, if you have this question, it means other people have that question as well. So we this really helps us. Alex, one of the worst things that a person can do is answer questions that nobody's asking, you know? And, yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> and so these are questions that people are asking, so we want to try to give a biblical answer, and, and that's our whole idea. We, Alex and I, have felt, really spent our lifetime, adult lifetime, developing a biblical worldview. Uh, that means we look at everything as best we can through the lens of Scripture, Now, we don't study the Bible to know the Bible better. We study the Bible to know the God of the Bible better. Now, when you know both, you have the wisdom and then his Holy Spirit to help us. Now, I want to say this, and then we can go to your first question. Alex and I love to do this. We enjoy it. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher you have is the Holy Spirit in you. Open the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and show you. Look for those words that Alex and I have told you about. Look at the therefores. Look at the conjunctions. Look at the repeated phrases. Uh, Look at those transition statements. Look at those things. There's usually great truth just right there hanging from the, the, the vine ready to be grasped by you and internalized. There's nothing like... Uh, getting the answer that God has given you through the Word of God. Alex, I've been there many times where I've had questions, and I'd turn to God in His Word, and He would guide me and show me and show me somewhere in Scripture that it would explain or it would help me to know what God was wanting me to do. And that's, that's what we want you to know today. We want you to know what would God have me do. That is the big deal that Exploring the Word wants to try to achieve. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned biblical worldview, because um, th- don't let this word, uh, you know, be intimidating to you, but the word philosophy, 
everybody has a philosophy of life. And your philosophy of life really is how you look at uh, right and wrong, how you look at the priorities of life. You know, what should life be about? Uh, creation, where did we come from? And purpose, why are we here? The question is not, are you going to have a philosophy of life or a worldview, a way of looking at life, and then what you believe shapes the decisions you make. Everybody does, and we want people, and certainly we endeavor this for ourselves, but we want people to have a biblical worldview. Bert, um, another subject for another day perhaps, but it was a biblical worldview that birthed and grew and sustained America. We became great. We became stable, prosperous, innovative, the greatest nation at one time. And I say still is the greatest nation, although there are certainly some some, uh, lost values that must be recovered. But it was the biblical worldview that made America great. And we want that worldview to be the predominant philosophy of life for our country once again. Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, the great French philosopher, tried to find the genius and the greatness of America. And he saw all the fruit and he saw the in this industry. He saw all the things. But he said when he went and heard the pulpits of America cry with righteousness and goodness. He said, then I saw the greatness of America, the key to it. And he said, if America ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. Alex, I believe that with all my heart. And so I believe why we're still in existence probably in the last 50 years is because America churches, Christians, are still the most mission-minded people in all the world. Uh, It is we, we want the people to know Jesus saves, Jesus saves. That old hymn, wafted on the rolling tide, whatever that means, cried out real loud, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And so Alex, exploring the word, and AFR are part of that group to make sure our nation and the world knows the truth that Jesus Christ will save your soul. He will heal you. He will make you whole. And that's that's why we do Exploring the Word, so Amen. that you can have the worldview that starts, biblical worldview, that starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I've got a worldview-related question to begin with that was sent in. And um, the the person says that they, you know, they're a Christian and they're not, you know, wanting to debate, but they said they honestly want to know. And uh, by the way, before I even read this question, understand, you know, there there are some people that um, are in a kind of a combative posture and they're wanting to sort of play chess against God or play chess against the Christian. But m- most people, in my experience, Bert, ha- they're honestly seeking answers. And it's one thing to be an opponent of the truth. It's another thing to just innocently be uninformed. And so understand this, folks. We get pretty passionate about these things, but it's not that we, we don't mind spirited debate. We really don't. Uh, and we welcome any and all questions. But somebody writes in and says they're, they're a Christian, but they want to know, how can we say that we're pro-life, but yet are for uh, death penalty for convicted murderers? Or at least how are we okay with that? And people being soldiers going into the battlefield, 
uh, law enforcement that sometimes in the course of duty uh, have to shoot to kill. How do you reconcile being pro-life but also supporting the death penalty for convicted murderers and things like that. This this is a worldview question, isn't it? It is, and it's a good question, and I think it's a question that, that most of us have had to answer at some time in our life, if not to others, to ourselves. And uh, so, listen, the when I go to the Old Testament, the law was given. You had the ceremonial law, you had civil law, and moral law. And the ceremonial law changed completely. Part of the civil law, the and I would say the civil law that shows you the accountability and help, uh, much of it is still applicable today. Our problem is applying those principles today, like you know the six cities of refuge and how to do and 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 bring a person to to accountability, Alex. Uh, we don't have the cities of refuge, but we do have the system of courts, and these are stems from those that, yes, the elders of the city would hear those things, and they would make a determination of what was right and what was wrong based on the evidence that was given them. We still have that through the civil law today. The moral laws are still intact. Many of them, matter of fact, you see them carried out, and when it talks about death, uh, the the law says in the Ten Commandments, "Thou shalt not murder," and the whole idea was though that a life was you take a life, a life is required. Now again, I I think and let me put a I, I do want to put a little asterisk on this, Alex. I think it needs to be definite. I think it has to be beyond doubt that the individual that is about to die for the death of someone else have, I, I would say, close to irrefutable truth. You know, uh, if there's some doubt in that, I, I'm one of those that's reluctant, reluctant to use the death penalty. But I still think it is justifiable in a mm-hmm. society and morally. Well, and, and let me say this, support of the death penalty for convicted murderers, and again, uh, we believe in, in due process, and, a, and part of what's been so unique about our judicial system has been that um, people go through very, very thorough process. Our ju- judicial system isn't perfect, but um, I, I do think in America— Overall, people get a fair trial um, because humans are, you know, we have failures and foibles. Uh, There have been some uh, court decisions that were later shown to be false, but people get a fair trial as a rule in America. Okay, for convicted murderers, the death penalty actually affirms the value of human life. Really, Bert, I believe, because we're saying, look, human life is sacred. It's a gift from God, and it is so highly valued that when a person is convicted of having murdered another human being, they pay with their own life. And Bert, I've I've preached in two dozen different prisons many, many times over there. Several prisons I've been to many times. I do know that when they're doesn't seem to be punishment for crime, uh, that does seem to embolden lawbreakers. So um, I, I've heard arguments on all sides. I think um, that the death penalty is 
biblical. I think it values human life, and I think it's a deterrent for crime as well. I'd agree. And about military, again, I've used this many times. Alvin York, watching that movie will help. I'm just telling you, it's an old movie, black and white. It will help you with these issues. Here was a pacifist, Alvin York, but yet when he started reading his Bible— and when he saw the history of America and the and the freedoms that we have that they need to be stood for and and fought for, he came on on the side of going to war. And matter of fact, they asked him why he was able to shoot those in the opposing army. Why was he able to do that when he was earlier against it? He said, "I took life in order to save life." And he said. If I had not taken their lives, then all the men that were with me would have died. And so, Alex, uh, military, yes, we're not to be pacifists. We are to be stewards of the citizenship that God has given to us. Well, uh, that's good. And, uh, you know, we've said this many times. If you want to understand uh, the role of government in terms of national defense, uh, read Romans 13 prayerfully read that, maybe even read some commentary on that. And and I'll, I'll just say this and we'll move on. Uh, self-defense, national defense, capital punishment, it is not incompatible with a pro-life position. It is not. We're not eager, but we're not going to deny the need and what God has laid out for us. You're listening to Exploring the Word here on AFR. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back with more questions in just a moment. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. This is Fireway Friday, but we're not taking phone calls. This is a pre-recorded program where we're answering questions that people send in to us at word at AFR.net or they've given to me or given to Alex and and we bring them to the, you know, the the radio so we can answer them because usually more people are wanting to know the answers to these questions. So we're doing that today. Alex, one of the questions that we've gotten recently at questions or word at AFR.net is about Hebrews chapter 6. Let's say something about Hebrews, and it's verses 4 through 6, but let's say something about the book of Hebrews as we get ready to answer it. The book of Hebrews uh, is a book that has more references into the Old Testament than any other of the New Testament books. It is a book that's getting on the things and showing the primary need that Jesus Christ is better. And when you start reading the first few verses and chapters of Hebrews, you get into that. And then the rest of the book is going to explain how that Jesus is better, that he is a better than uh, than, than the priest that you had, uh, the Levitical priest, that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and so much of this. And But in Hebrews chapter 6, everybody wants to read 4, 5, and 6, Alex, but I want to read verses 1, 2, 3 through 6, if, if that's okay, because okay, I think it I sets think it up. be wise. Yes. Yeah. 
it says therefore, and again, when you see therefore, you ask ask the question, what it is there for? <laughs> That's right. And uh, it's about the ironic, ironic uh, priesthood, and therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. For this we will do if God permits. For it, 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 for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good work of God, word of God, excuse me, not work, but word of God, and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Go ahead, Alex. Well, the question is, does it does Hebrews, you know, six here uh indicate that we can lose our salvation? And let me make um I think two words that we need to to really pull out of here. Um in verse four quote, those once enlightened, and verse 4, quote, those who have tasted the heavenly gift. Um, Once enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. I'm going to say this, Bert. I think what we're talking about here are those um, intellectually aware but not spiritually persuaded or not converted. Because there's a difference. I mean, you read Hebrews 2.19, even the devil and the demons know that God exists and that Christ is risen, but they're not saved, obviously. It is possible in your mind to be aware of the reality of God, Jesus, salvation, heaven. You can know about it but not have had a heart change yet. And the way I take it, and and looking at all the salvation scriptures uh, that that we possibly can, Ephesians 2, 8, and 10, and uh, John chapter 10, and and 1 John, I think if, if this were the only thing we had about salvation, if Hebrews 6 was the only passage, then I would say, okay, apparently one can lose their salvation. But looking at other scriptures, Romans 4 and 5, Romans 8, about the security of the believer, Bert, I've got to conclude that what this is saying is there are those who they were exposed to truth, they heard about truth, maybe they even thought, you know, I, I, I probably need to do this. But they were intellectually aware, but not spiritually converted. Somehow or another, they just did not fully come to Christ, although apparently they had a knowledge of it. Alex, the first time I heard this explained, that's what I, that's what I was taught. I do not deny that. I, I come to this. Uh, here's, here's with all my heart. If you're serving the Lord— the way that we should serve the Lord. And that will be up and down. It will have its curves. It will have uh, times of greatness, of, of attitude, and sometimes reluctance with, you mean I got to do this, you know? That's, that's not losing your salvation, no matter what. 
if there's the possibility of someone losing, quote, the salvation that God has given them, if, if that is possible, it is someone who deliberately walks away. Uh, now, I, I don't believe they'd do that. I'll, I'll just do that. But looking at all Scripture, I come to the point that, yes, once you come to know Jesus Christ in totality and reality, I want to tell you, I believe you're secure in Christ. I believe that with all my heart. If there is that possibility of someone who was walking with Christ and they walked away, Alex, I, I, let me just say this, and, and I, I don't mean I'm not trying to lessen anybody's opinion. I'm not trying to make more of my opinion or someone else's. But here's the case. If, if we have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, with all the heart, most of the Bible, without the a few scriptures like this that are a little bit uh, unclear, you know, uh, w- w- God's going to see us through. And I go back to this example. Mm-hmm. When Jesus told the apostles to get into the boat, to go to the other side, guess what happened during their voyage? Storm, the worst storm probably that those fishermen had ever seen came upon them. And they said to Jesus, do you not care that we're going to die? And Jesus came out, rebuked the storm, calmed the storm. And guess why? how that story ends? They made it to the other side. Even though the storms, even though there was doubt, even though there was fear, even though there was so much difficulty, they made it to the other side. With all my heart, if you are legitimately have trusted Jesus Christ, I don't think you ought to walk in fear. I think you ought to walk in faith and say, Lord, I've put my faith in you. I trust you. I know the storms of life are raging. I know sometimes it looks like the bottom of, of life is falling out. It looks like everything's against us and nothing's going right. I still will trust in you. God will bring you to the other side. I'm confident of that, Alex. Amen. Bert, well said, well said. And, and let me say, if you're worried that you've lost your salvation, if you're concerned about that, well, you can turn back to Christ and you can know that you're saved. I, I really do believe, I think when we're talking about the security of the believer, we've got to delineate, Bert, between uh, position and sanctification, uh, sonship and fellowship. And here's, here's the weird thing. It's possible for those who don't especially look saved, that that maybe they are saved, and then those who uh, do look saved aren't saved, you know? (laughs) Uh, The question is not how are you, you know, all spiffy in that suit and tie, living morally, although we should live morally. The question is, has there been an inward heart change? And only on the inside of you, the invisible, the status of your soul only God and you know that. So if you've not been saved or if you're concerned, well, by all means, turn to Jesus today because as we so frequently say, he says close by is a prayer. Amen. Uh, we hope we give that a good answer. Uh, a good question because it is difficult. There, Let me just share with you. Here's, here's a principle that I've learned. There's difficult passages in the Bible to understand. And we may never completely understand the whole realm of them. God is beyond everything that we could even ask or think. He, uh, he's not man. He is God. 
And scriptures, what you do with complicated scriptures as best you can, go to the ones that you understand to help you understand the ones that are are difficult to understand. Start with those. And it says in the scriptures, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what Paul told that, uh, that jailer, that Philippian jailer. He said, what must I do to be saved? He, you know, that was it, Alex. Believe, trust. It has the word of faith in. Faith in. If you can uh, mm-hmm. make the word faith a uh, verb, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And and so, Alex, it says also in John 10, no man is able to pluck you out of my hand. I and my Father are one. No one's able to take us out of our hand. Listen, those are simple to understand. You don't have to, well, what does that really mean? No, it is as plain as anything could ever be. And nail those simple ones down first and then go to those passages that are more difficult. I think that really helps you as you study the Word of God, Alex. Amen. Well, uh, Bert, we have a listener that writes and says, uh, Alex and Bert, uh, would you please comment on Luke 4, 5 through 8? And let me, let me read this. Uh, Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted. Luke 4. The devil taking him, Jesus, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power I will give you, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If you will therefore worship me, All shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So they say, comment on this. I'm assuming the question, or maybe part of the question might be, did Satan actually have the authority to do this? And so, Bert, um, let's comment on this. Christ was tempted. He did not sin. He was strong. It's interesting. He always quotes the scripture in his rebuke of Satan. But what about it from a big mountain? Did did the devil really have the authority to say he held the kingdoms of the world in his power? Let me say this. I think there's many approaches that Jesus could have come against Satan and this temptation. Many. He could have said, it's not yours to give, Satan. You know, uh, yeah. he, he could have said many things. What did he concentrate on? What Jesus concentrated on was worship. God alone deserves worship. Satan, you are wanting something that doesn't even fall into your area. There's you, You're asking something that is beyond anyone that should ever do it. Now, again, I think he's given up Satan is the deceiver. He's a liar. I, I think he's a liar. Does he do this? Does he give Jesus? Well, uh, yeah, just like Job, uh, God gave permission uh, to the devil to go after Job, except first his physical body, you know, and and different things. But then he limited, even, he let him go after his body at one time, but he couldn't touch his spirit, his soul. Here, there's no many areas that Jesus could have, quote, I believe, counteracted what Satan was offering him, but he concentrates on the worship. And listen, that's what we need to do today. 
when Satan is coming and he is dangling that carrot in front of us, wanting us to take it, listen, it's only in God. We worship him. We, we serve him. Him and only should we worship and serve. So, Alex, I think Satan uh, had some permission to do this, to, to show Jesus uh, the kind of ministry that he would have, but he, he, was, he was doing it in a falsehood, brother. That's my thoughts. Well, you know, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now, some things we know that, that Lucifer and his followers were cast out of heaven. Job 38, 7 says the stars sang at the, at the time of creation. So the angels were there when the worlds were spoken into existence. Bert, um, let me just ask this. So when Satan was cast out of heaven, was he cast down to earth? And here's Adam and Eve put, I mean, you think about it. Adam and Eve were created, and then Jesus is the second Adam. Um, if, if Satan is the God of this world, the God of this age, if he really does possess some sway over the leaders of this world, um, isn't it something that the first and second Adams, the first Adam, and remember the seed of the woman, would ultimately crush the head of the serpent, and then after Adam and Eve, Jesus, the second Adam, a life-giving spirit, isn't it something down here in this fallen world and the domain of devils uh, was put Adam and Eve and then Jesus to be victorious over Amen. Lucifer and his demons. Hallelujah. Let me, you're right on. And I believe he was cast down. Let me share about this, this offer he's made. There's a difference in possession and ownership. Understand that. The world is God's and the work thereof. Ownership is God's. Possession right now, under rule, Satan has his, and I'm using this word, and it's a real word, limited power over earth. Alex, it's a limited power. It's not unlimited. And God God can call him back. God can let him go this far, but not so far. Just like the sea. Who told the sea it could only go so far? God did. Mm-hmm. Who told Satan Amen. where to stop it? Uh, so determine the difference in possession and ownership. God's the ultimate owner, isn't he? He is. What a great distinction. That's a very insightful point you make there. Well, folks, Exploring the Word is going to come back with more of your questions and to the best of our ability, God's answers from the Bible. So stay tuned. We're back after this. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Let me go down, down, down in history as another blood member of the family and if they all forget my name well that's fine with me I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus Amen so I, I, I want to tell you if the, if the answers that we give does not feed your soul our little introduction music should uh, that's, that's just powerful nobody but Jesus and I hope you're living your life that way. It really doesn't matter about Bert Harper or Alex McFarlane. 
Jesus is the one, and let's make much mm-hmm. of him. With that in mm-hmm. mind, Alex, uh, we finished talking about the issue of, of Satan offering Jesus the world. Did he have that authority? And we were talking about the difference in possession and ownership. You had a good, I, I, you shared it with me, and I said, Alex, you need to share that with uh, our listening audience today. Would you share that story? Well, you know, talking about the distinction between possessing something versus owning something. When I was in college, Bert, I worked for a pretty good while selling cars. Uh, at, there was a local car dealership, and if you've listened to the show, you know I love cars. I I love cars. But, yeah, I, I was working on my daddy's farm, but on the weekends I sold cars. And they they kind of trusted me. I was a young, I guess maybe I seemed honest. I wasn't even saved yet, but God gave me favor. And the man that owned the dealership on Friday afternoon would ask me to walk the bank deposit down to the bank. And they had this zipper bag, this particular bank in downtown Greensboro, North Carolina. And he would say, uh, uh, McFarland, take this down there and hand it to the bank. And I would do that. Here's the thing. When I would carry the bank deposit down there, it was in my possession, but I wasn't the owner. Now, I had a job to do. So you can have something in your possession, but you're not the owner. Satan, and it's interesting, in the Luke 4 passage where the devil says that these things are delivered into my hand, they might, there are, look, I think... Um, you know, the pornography industry, which is housed on servers in Southern California, they say, uh, yeah, that particular realm of technology seems to be at the moment in the hand of Satan, but he doesn't own this world. And in fact, Luke 16 and Second Corinthians says the God of this world is judged. So apparently, um, as uh, warped as this does sound in Luke 4, Satan is trying to say, look, I've got sway over some of this world, and I'll relinquish that if you'll worship me. And of course, Jesus isn't going to do that because the plan of salvation will not be derailed by this twisted uh, devil's bargain. And Jesus so wisely says, get thee behind me. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord that God only. Luke 4, 8. So it's interesting, the temptations, but by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, Jesus overcame, and we can do the same. We sure can. And so we're praying that you are. Use the Word of God. That's the reason uh, the Word of God is so important for you to memorize and then meditate upon. And then at points in your life, God will call these scriptures to your memory and it is a defense. It really is. The Bible talks about put on the armor of God and the shield of faith, which is the word of God. It will work. The word of God is the word of God. I know I make, I make several statements over and over again, Alex. Both of us have certain things we feel like everybody needs to hear. You know, the mm, Bible is right. the Bible, whether you believe it or not. The Word of God is the Word of God. And so the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is sent forth to accomplish, ultimately, the will of God. So depend on the Word. Well, Alex, we had this great listener, Paul, call in, and and he, he said more than this, and I tried to put it in a synopsis, but Paul is 43 years old. And if Paul, if you're listening, we, we, I've been praying for you. 
and he is fighting cancer for the second time. You know, it's tough when it comes back. It's the great news. The cancer is in remission, and that's great news. But then when you go back and it's come back, it is tough. He's still working. I'm an electrician. But his, his desire was some scripture that would strengthen him and help him. Alex, uh, do you have any in mind? Well, first of all, I want to say we're, I'm very sorry for your illness that you're going through. Very sorry that you're having to endure this. Uh, but let me just give you a couple of scriptures to, to think about this. Uh, and one of my favorite, and we do talk about you know repetition, but Matthew 6, 8 says, The Father knows what we need even before we ask. The Father knows what we need even before we ask. And even though you might be lying on a bed of affliction, uh, God has not abandoned you, and God does care, and God knows what you need. And so I, I just pray you'll trust Him to be your source. Something else, though, that I think about uh, in all situations, but Philippians 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, petition with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, or literally present your request to God. Don't be anxious. And I know it's easy for me to say, somebody who's well can just say, well, don't be anxious. But the Word of God says, uh, don't be anxious, but by prayer and petition, uh, take it to the Lord. And I, I pray your strength and your comfort will be from God that um, living or dying, He is with us. In health and in infirmity, He's with us, and He'll bring good and growth and blessing out of the deepest of valleys, even the deep, dark valley of cancer. Paul, I want to say thank you for trusting us enough to even ask that question. I, I want to tell you, I've not faced cancer, but I've faced some difficulty. Psalm 103 feeds my soul, especially the first five verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives us all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases. Ultimately, your disease will be healed here or hereafter, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The other passage that came to my mind was First Peter, and uh, chapter 1. It says this, and it starts in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, for an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you should greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, or for a season, you, if need be, you have been grieved with various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honoring glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, these mm. are scriptures that Alex and I 
we've turned to, and we pray that God would even give you more. But thank you for call, uh, uh, emailing in and asking that question, and we pray that God would bless you. Let's pray for Paul right now. Alex, would you, yes. would you lead us in prayer? Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this dear listener, Paul. Lord, we pray your comfort would be very real, very tangible to him right this minute. Lift his spirits, and though his body, you know, undergoing treatment, bearing an illness, I mean, it can be painful in the body and just very uh, intimidating emotionally, but I lift him up to you that he is a victor. You know, I think about 2 Corinthians 4.10, that within our body is manifested the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he is a victor. His name is written in high places. Father, I pray that you'll help him remember his true identity. And I think about Romans 8, verse 11, and this is for all believers, and it may be in this life, it may be in the next, but it says the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken our mortal body. I pray for this, brother. Lord, let him know the Spirit of God is giving him life, will give him uh, a glorified body one day, and so he is a victor. We lift him up to you and, and help his emotions to catch up with his reality. He is a victor. Help him to feel that and experience that joy, victorious in Jesus. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Paul, we are praying, and thank you for trusting us with that question. Alex, do you have another question that we could uh, answer today? Uh, Yes. Somebody says, how can I experience more power in my prayer life? Sometimes I pray and I don't seem to get answers. What's the secret? Amen. And I'm assuming the secret (laughs) to a powerful prayer life. It is. The first thing that comes to my mind is persistence. Do you remember the parable of the persistent uh, guest, you know? Luke 18. Uh, I love that. that, Here's what happened. Uh, this guy was late at night, and he had someone coming knocking at his door. And in that culture, you hospitality was a premium, and you were to invite him in. But you invited him in, and you didn't have food. So you go to the next-door neighbor knocking on his door, and the guy says, Go away. I'm in bed. My kids are asleep. I I can't get up and do what you want me to do. And it says in, in the King James, because, and it's a beautiful word, because of his importunity, uh, because yes. he keeps on yes. keeping on, uh, he knocks. Guess what happens to that guy? He gets up and he answers the door yeah, exactly. and gives him what he needs, doesn't he, Alex? He really does. You know, there is something to be said for persistence in prayer. And and it's not that God is dangling a carrot and withholding, but I have found this, and I've had to pray through some things. Doug Oldham, the great gospel singer, used to sing about uh, that we, we must pray through. Bert, do you recall that old saying? I uh, do, yeah. And here's the thing. When we have to pray through something and persistently, and it may be over a long period of time, but what changes is is me, my heart. And, and oftentimes I think maybe there might be some delay in God's answer because um, while, yes, God can change circumstances in, in a moment, but remember, if you've ever wondered why does it take so long for this prayer to get answered— 
remember what God has going on here. God is not going to override anybody's free will. God is not going to um, contradict any of his purposes. And I, I got to say, given all the variables that God is going to act righteously, God is going to act in accord with his word, his will, God will persuade people, but God doesn't twist their arm, at least not in the sense of overriding anybody's free will. Um, I think it's a miracle and a blessing how fast and how positively prayers do get answered. You know, It would be. Amen. Let me give one more. This is one of my life verses. Uh, people say, do you have a life verse? Well, I, I do, but I have three or four if you want to know the truth. And this is one of them. It's in Psalm 37, 4. If you haven't read Psalm 37 lately, just take it and devour it, especially the first eight verses. They will minister to you. But listen to verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, Alex, here's what I found out about this verse. When I delight myself in the Lord also, in him, also means in agreement with God. There's also of a different kind and also of the same kind. This is also of the same kind. When I delight myself in the Lord and he and who he is, listen, my guess what happens to my desires? They become a little bit unselfish. They mm-hmm. they become the desires of God. I want to please you, God, more than I want to please anyone else. Lord, I want your way in my life more than I want my way. What? How does that come about? By delighting yourself in the Lord. What mm. does that mean? It means you're overcome by who he is, what he has done, what he's going to do. You delight yourself, and you have to spend time with the Lord in order to delight yourself in him. You please him. You rejoice in him. So Psalm 37, 4, I think, is an awesome passage concerning prayer because as we say prayer changes us delighting ourselves in the lord really does change us and that changes our prayer life alex you know bert when i was a young believer and i was trying to begin to learn how to memorize scripture i was wanting to learn psalm 37 verse 4 as and as you said you know one of our favorite passages delight thyself also in the lord but i was always getting them backwards psalm 37 4 and psalm 34 7 but but that's a good one too okay psalm 37 4 delight yourself in the lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart but psalm 34 7 do you know it from memory i did not but i do know it but i didn't know the handle as we call it the angel of the lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them Alex, amen, brother. That was Um, a good mistake. (laughs) Those are good ones. And if you want a blessing, I was reading it yesterday with a pastor friend of mine. Read Psalm 34. But, But one last thought about prayers and answers and our desires lining up with God's desires. And so you mentioned, you know, persistence in prayer. Um And there's humility, being able to say, Lord, thy will be done. Lord, I've often prayed this, but, you know, Lord, humanly, from my perspective, it sure does seem like this needs to get done. But maybe your will is different. But James 1 says, ask in faith, don't waver. Uh, The man that wavers, let not him think he'll receive anything. Believe God, trust God, because God is able and God means good for you. He really does have blessing for you. I can't help but remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God is able to deliver us. 
But if he but, does not, we're still not going to bow down to you, O King. Listen, <laughs> trust God. Alex, if you get to the bottom line, that's it. We trust him, don't we? We surely do. Folks, thank you. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word in the American Family Radio Network. We appreciate that. We hope it's a blessing. We give God the glory. Tell somebody about AFR. Most of all, though, tell everybody about Jesus. 